Well, my single claim to fame is that I have danced on the stage at the Grand Old Opry in Nashville, Tennessee. Can you believe that? Well, it's happened. But I never went there with that intention. One summer, a friend, a friend of mine and I went up there to audition as musicians. I went there to and auditioned as a guitar player. And when they called me back the next day, they also asked to see me dance. So I guess uh, they didn't have any openings for just guitar players. And after I danced, they didn't have any openings for me. <laughs> because I'm not a dancer, was not, uh, and uh, am still not. But you know what the band illustrated is really a great point, is that it is not that edifying, either was it for the folks in Nashville when I danced, nor for you, when the band members were each at a place where they were not gifted. Yeah, it went on, and you could hear it, right? And there were a couple of people who were kind of multi-talented and could, you know, carry it. But by and large, it wasn't that great. And uh, that's by design. God didn't design the band to play the first time the way they played. God gave them and gifted them to play the way they did the second time. You know, we have all felt like square pegs, as they say, in round holes. We've all been there, like I was standing there on that stage in Nashville going, what am I doing here? And I don't want to be doing this. But I want, you know, this job, so I'll give it a try. But I didn't belong there. That's not what I was supposed to be doing. And fortunately, I didn't have to do it. We've all been in those situations. But you know what? We've also all been in situations where we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. And the blessings that poured from that, be it the, the, the job, actually getting a job that you have education for or skill for, or perhaps serving in a, a capacity in ministry that God has truly gifted you to serve, there is blessing that flows from that not cacophony. When you think about serving God, many compare it to joining the army or eating vegetables. You think about serving in the church, you know, it's like vegetables. You know, you choke it down, you do it because you're supposed to, but there's not a whole lot of joy in it. They've never discovered an area of passion or giftedness and so the experience that they have is miserable, kind of like a square peg. But on the other hand, many have discovered what God has uniquely gifted them to do. And in so doing, not only are they blessed, but those around them are blessed. I want to ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want to talk today about a good serve that is serving the Lord in a way that's good, in a way that, that benefits all involved. Our series on the spiritual disciplines has taken us through quite a number of them. Uh, that Those things in the Christian life, not again like we said in communion, that earn us anything with God, but rather that we do in response to what God's already done. 
and that are means of our growth in the Christian life. If you want to grow in the Christian life, you must participate in the spiritual disciplines. You've got to read your Bible, because it's through the Bible and through the Bible alone that God communicates to you. Uh, you've got to pray, because it's through prayer that you communicate with God. You've got to worship. You've got to be obedient. Uh, and today we're looking at the idea of serving, of discovering how God has gifted you and serving him in that particular arena, in that particular way. If you were to read through the book of First Peter, you would find that one of the overarching themes that Peter has, that he's trying to get across to the people he's writing to, is keep a perspective that's bigger than this week. And you know, so often, that's what we're focusing on. You know, this is my task this week. This is what I have to get done this particular day. It's going to take me to this day. And my week is done. Great. Now next week, or next month, or this fiscal year is our goal, as opposed to, as Peter says, keep in mind eternity. Keep the big picture in mind, and in light of eternity, live today. Live day by day. Don't live day by day simply beginning and end, but live in light of eternity. Remember that this world is not our home and where we're going. That's the ultimate end. That's where we're going to be. And in light of that, this is how you are supposed to live. And it's that exact same perspective that Peter gives us, starting in verse 7. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. Look at that. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The end of all things. Peter says, look, you've got a deadline. Time is short. Therefore, don't overlook this word. Therefore, in light of your deadline, here's what you need to do. Time is short. Remember that movie, High Noon? Old Gary Cooper? Uh, who was the lady? Grace Kelly in that movie? And the title, High Noon, was also the tension. Because at high noon comes the train that has the bad guys on it, and Gary Cooper is all by himself in trying to uh, defend the town and to defend his life. And there was a tension because of the deadline, and they kept looking at the clock, you know, kind of like you do during the message. You, know, you keep looking at the clock, because you know that time is coming, high noon. And it's, it's a deadline. And a deadline motivates, doesn't it? You know, you've got a project due by a certain date, or you've got your taxes due by a certain date. We all deal with deadlines, and deadlines motivate us like nothing else can. If we know something's six months off, we won't start it till month five, or maybe month six. That's just, that's just who we are by nature. And Peter says, look, you need to get perspective on things. The end of all things is at hand. Time is short. Therefore, in light of the fact that time is short, here's what you need to focus on. Like if you knew that you were going to have to get a, a, give an accounting to God at high noon today, that you only had 35 minutes, and you're going to be face-to-face -face with God Almighty, or really face-to-floor with God Almighty, and you were going to have to give an accounting of your, of your life on earth, what would you do with that 35 remaining minutes? Peter says there are a couple of things you need to do because the end is at hand. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit. 
And really, these are kind of synonyms. Uh, to be of sound judgment, the way he wrote it means to be able to reason and think properly. In, order, in other words, to think straight. And also to be of sober spirit means to be in control of one's thought processes. The idea of being sober it means you're in control. If you're not sober, you're not in control. To be a sober uh, thinker, have sober spirit, means that you are clear-minded. And why? Why should we have this sound judgment and sober spirit? For the purpose of prayer. The pur purpose of prayer. Think about the priorities of your day, day to day. Does prayer work itself in there? You know, there's not a one of us that wouldn't stand up and say that prayer is a priority, and yet, in some sense, we're ta talking philosophically. Yes, I believe that prayer is important. And yet, look at our day, and really, prayer is not that important, is it, as much? as it is philosophically. Philosophically, we said, boy, prayer is so important. And yet, practically, we don't give it much time because we've got things to do this week. Peter himself wrote in the previous chapter, he says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. Why should we pray? Because God does stuff when we pray in response to our prayers. Time is short, Peter says. So keep a clear head so that you can pray. And he also says, not only your relationship with God, but your relationship with people. Verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest hit commandment in the Old Testament? What's the most important one? He said, it's to love. To love God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's why Peter says, above all, most importantly, keep fervent in your love for one another. And the way that he wrote love is the word that means a love that is sacrificial. A love that loves because of the value of the person and not the actions of a person. There is another word for love in the Greek New Testament that means that you love somebody because you like being around them and it's fun. That's not the word that's used here. The word that Peter uses here is a word that, that you love because it's what you choose, not because of what you feel. Keep fervent in your sacrificial love for one another. Keep fervent. And if it's that kind of a love, now you know why Peter's saying keep fervent, because you're not going to want to do it. The way he wrote keep fervent, it's from, a it's from a word that means stretched, and it's a word that's used of an athlete. And, and think about, as this week, Lance Armstrong, even today, you know, uh, goes through Paris on his victory lap as he wins the sixth Tour de France. Every muscle is taut. Every, every muscle is focused on one goal, and that's it to win. That's his goal. Peter says, above all, your number one priority, and philosophically, we agree, don't we? Our number one priority, love one another. Oh, yes, that's great. Well, even the unbelievers say that. All we need is love. Bah, 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 da, da. Everybody says that, but nobody does it. It's easy to talk world peace, but it's hard to have peace in your own home, isn't it? Keep fervent, stretch yourself toward unconditional love toward one another.
Why? Because that kind of love covers a multitude of sins. The word he uses here for covers means to hide or to conceal so that it's no longer seen. And it doesn't mean the idea that you're denying reality. It's the idea that you're forgiving. That kind of a self-sacrificing love that you continue to do for one another is a love that is aware of somebody's sin, in fact, a multitude of sins, and yet, in spite of that, continues to love. Only keeping a love that's fervent covers, multi, uh, covers a multitude of sins. And now Peter basically says this, this kind of selfless love, you want a, a couple of good ways to apply it? He says, I'll tell you. Here are a couple of great ways to apply that kind of self-sacrificing love. To take the philosophical thing that all of us say, yeah, you know, we believe in love, and Peter says, okay, now, here's how you do it. You really believe in love? Here's how you do it. Look at verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. You know what it means to be hospitable? That word hospitable literally means to be a lover of strangers or a lover of guests. It's easy to love people that you already love, to love people that you're familiar with. It's hard to love people that really kind of a hassle, kind of a pain. You know, they come over to your house and they drink all the Dr. Pepper. That's why he's saying, without complaint, or if you've got the New International Version, without grumbling. You know, it's easy to be hospitable. Come on, come on in. But without grumbling. They drank all my Dr. Pepper. What's the common thread going through all these verses? One another. Love, keep fervent in your love for one another. We just read, be hospitable to one another. And now here's the third way, the third one another, and it's on this one that the practical self-sacrificing love we're going to camp on for the rest of the message. In fact, the message really begins here. Verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one has received a special gift. My friends, this is God's word. This is not simply Wayne's message. This is not uh, a passage that's maybe familiar to you. It's the word of God. It's God's word to you and to me that we just read. And God's word says, as each one, every person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, every person, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Each one, one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know, at Christmas time, when we give gifts to our kids and, you know, we watch the joy of them opening their gift and they've unwrapped it and it's exactly what they wanted and they're hugging it. And, and then another little kid who didn't want that gift all of a sudden sees it and comes along and asks to play with it. What do our children, yes, our children do? No, you can't play with my gift. 
And we look at that child, and uh, our view is, you know, kind of selfish, aren't they? And we'll reprimand them. You know, you need to share. And if they won't share, we'll maybe take it away from them or make them share. But we will force godliness on our kids if they don't share their gift, right? Now, we're not like that. Our kids have to grow up, you know, we have to teach them so they'll grow up and be like us who have no trouble at all sharing our stuff, right? Now, it just starts there. The struggle continues, which is why we're given this command. You have received a special gift. Share it. Imagine this. Imagine that you're in a house with your family and you're barely scraping by, not making a lot, not eating a lot, and out in, in the day, somebody gives you 10 loaves of bread. And you're so excited. And you take them home and you hide them underneath your bed. Don't tell your spouse. Don't tell your, or if you're not married, don't tell your roommate or don't tell your kids or anybody. And every once in a while, you kind of sneak in there and eat a loaf and come out while everybody else in, in the family is still hungry. Now, that illustration is so ludicrous because none of us would ever do that. The first thing we would do if somebody gave us 10 loaves of bread and we had a hungry family, we'd come home and we'd let them eat and then we would. We care so much for our family, don't we? That's what we would do. And yet, how is it any different when God gives us a special gift? How are we any different from that illustration? How are we any different from the child at Christmas that won't share? When God has gifted us and given us an ability and yet we do not employ it in serving one another. Each one has received a gift, Peter says. The word literally refers to a gift of grace or a free gift, which clues us in to why Peter says we're to be stewards, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Remember a couple of weeks ago what we said a steward is? A steward is somebody that takes care of something that's not his. A steward is one who takes care of something that they've been given. And you have been given a gift. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been given a gift. A supernatural ability to bless other people. And we don't all have the same gifts because Peter calls it the manifold grace of God. The multifaceted grace of God. That way there's all these different ways that God has gifted people. Look at the screen at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Look at those details. To each one for the common good. Every single Christian, if you have placed your faith in, in Christ, you have been given a gift, a, a, a gift that you didn't have prior to knowing Jesus, an ability to bless other people. Now, you may not know what that is, but you've still got it. You may not have developed it to its fullest, but it's still there, waiting. And the purpose of it is not for you. The purpose of it is for the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit. That's kind of an odd phrase, but you know what that means? It simply means that's how the Holy Spirit manifests or shows Himself. That the Spirit manifests Himself when we use our gifts for the common good. 
And there's a difference also between what the Bible calls spiritual gifts and natural gifts. A natural gift is what God gave you at birth. You're a, a singer. You're a, you've got great intellect. And so you pursue an education in that direction. You've got a great wit. You've got an athletic ability. You know, we're talking about a natural gift that is beyond the norm, the average. That's a natural gift. That has nothing to do with God's spiritual gifts that he's given. If, for example, music were a spiritual gift, you know, in my opinion, Eddie Van Halen could make it to heaven all on his own. The guy is an incredible guitar player. And yet, as far as I know, doesn't know the Lord. It's not a spiritual gift to be a musician. A spiritual gift is one that we're going to see that basically Peter puts in two different categories, but that works in harmony with your natural gift to benefit other people. What has God gifted you to do? How are you unique? That gift and ability is not just for you. What is your gift? Do you know it? If you don't know it, wouldn't you like to know it? So that you could use it to benefit other people and to know that you are where God wants you to be? You know, as David mentioned, we're going to be starting those groups, those uh, discovery groups, and you've got a little deal in your bulletin that tells you some about it. But you know, our purpose here at this church is really pretty simple. The uniqueness is that our attempt to reach out to those who aren't involved in a meaningful fellowship, you know, maybe those who don't, weren't going to church someplace before. But then past that, our desire is to take those people and to develop them into mature believers in Christ. Beginning and end, our desire is simply to help people grow to be all that God wants them to be. And in the process, we're doing the same thing in our own lives. That's all we want for you. And really, that's probably what you want, to be exactly what God wants you to be. And so if that's what you want, and you're not real sure what to do to take the next step, I encourage you to get involved in that class that's going to introduce you to that process. And also, the process is going to introduce you to something that, in fact, uh, you, could, you could look at today. There is a website called uniquelyyou.com uniquelyyou.com and you can go there and I think it costs like seven bucks but there's a survey that you can take then it'll take you about an hour to take it but what it'll do is it will help you see how God has made you what your natural personality and bent is and also what your spiritual gift is and how those can work together in serving him so that's something you can do right today but also, when you want to find out how to get plugged in and do that, I encourage you to get involved in that class. You've got to know what your gift is before you can use it. Murray Harris once made a great point when he said, all too often we regard stewardship as simply a matter of our giving to God. But this aspect is secondary. Before we can give, we must possess. And before we possess, we must receive. Therefore, stewardship is, in the first place, receiving God's good and bounteous gifts. And once received, those gifts are not to be used solely for our own good. They must also be used for the benefit of others and ultimately for the glory of God the giver. The steward needs an open hand to receive from God and then an active hand to give to God and to others.
Peter essentially puts these gifts into two big categories. And look at verse 11, because here they are. Two big categories. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies. Speaking or serving. Two broad, very broad umbrellas. But Peter says, look, this is how you do it. You don't do it on your own. God gifts you and enables you to do it. If you speak as if the utterances of God, you're using God's word. It's not your own. If you're serving, it's the strength that God provides. It's not your own. Because if it's your own words and it's your own strength, you're going to quit. You're going to fail as far as serving him. Maybe you've got an ability to speak with children or to talk to people about Jesus Christ, to introduce them in a creative way, you know, like Brian talked about uh, in evangelism last week. Maybe you have a special ability to teach the Bible or to be an encourager with your words. If, if that is who you are, then speak as if it was the words of God and use the word of God because there is power in God's word. Not in the actual words, but the Holy Spirit uses the truth behind this text and changes lives. There is not a changed life that took place in this room apart from the truth of the Word of God. God uses his word to change lives. Whether it's the word that's spoken or the word that's read, it all comes from God's word. Or maybe your gift, your bent, is serving. God has given you a heart to serve, either through caring for somebody's physical needs, through serving them in some physical way, or through duplicating tapes, or through going in your community and making somebody a meal. But you do that with all your heart and with the strength that God provides. Whether it's using your words or whether it's using your actions, God gifts to benefit other people and not just yourself. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Let me say it very simply. As a Christian, you have been called and gifted by Christ to serve him. You know, we usually just camp on the first part. You know, you better serve. It's a sin not to serve. Well, did you also know that Christ gifted you to do it? Imagine if you joined an army and the army says, look, we're not going to give you any equipment. You can't have a gun. You can't have any good boots. But just go out and we expect you to do a good job. No way. If you don't have the tools, you can't do the trade. It's the same thing with the Christian life. Christ did not just call you to serve him, but he also gifted you in a special way to do it. And if you don't know what that gift is, then one of your priorities in your life right now is to discover that and then to begin employing it in serving one another. You know, part of why this text exists is to wake us up because we struggle with laziness. We struggle with pride, both of which loathe serving other people. And we've got no problem serving ourselves. And it's we. This isn't the royal we, meaning you guys. It means me too. I am my favorite person when it comes to serving. And, and you're your favorite person. But we're called to have a sacrificial love. You know why God left us here on this planet after we trusted Christ? It wasn't to chase golf balls. 
It wasn't to spend every weekend seeing five movies. It wasn't to pursue a million dollars. It was to serve him. Now that doesn't mean that you can't serve him in the context of golf balls and million dollars and probably some way at the movies. You could probably find a way to serve him those ways. But is that your motive? Or is motive self? As a Christian, you've been called and gifted. And notice that the text says, whoever speaks, let him speak. Not something else. Serve where God has gifted you. There's a lot of square pegs that long to fit round holes. But it benefits the church about as much as me dancing at the Grand Old Opry. Not that many people were edified except maybe laughing that day. When we do that, we are not serving where Christ wants us to serve, but we're using Christ to serve where we want to serve. And the motive is totally backwards. You mind if I sing to you? It's all about me, Jesus. And all this is for me, for my glory and my fame. It's not about you. Is that how the song goes? No? But isn't that what we sing so often? It is. We struggle in serving where God wants us to serve because we see greater opportunities for our ego elsewhere. And you can't just serve in the area where you get strokes. And I tell you what, this is one of the greatest struggles. I'll be honest with you, this is one of the greatest struggles right now in my life. Because, where's this fly here? Lord of the flies. One of the greatest struggles that I have is limiting my time in serving by the things that give me strokes, as opposed to serving where Christ has called me to serve. And you know, knowing your spiritual gifts sometimes can be your out in, in doing what Christ has wanted you to do. Last week's message, when Brian talked about evangelism, I thought, you know what? I need to be more aware about opportunities to evangelize. And I think it was like the next day, we had a subcontractor come to our house to do some work on the threshold. And he was standing there, and you know, it was like the Holy Spirit, crunk, you know. There's an opportunity, Wayne. And so, you know, I took it and talked to the guy. It took me about 30 minutes to work into something about the Lord, but we got there. And that wouldn't have happened. You know, I could have said, you know what? God, my gift is teaching and not evangelism, and I don't, uh, I'm not called to do that. Everybody is called to be obedient. A gift is over and above a certain area. Everybody is called to be obedient. You probably don't know the name of the people who folded your bulletin, those who made your coffee, those who did the graphics on the screen, those who cleaned the restrooms, all so that your experience today can be most effective in your spiritual life. And that's okay that you don't know who it is, because it's not about us. It's about God, for His glory and His fame. It's not about us. That's why serving is in the context here of sacrificial love. 
So what's our motive? If it's not all about us, what's our motive? Well, we stopped in verse 11, about halfway. Let's look at that and, keep, and go on. Verse 11, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies. And now here's the motive. Here's the reason we serve. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, it may take years, but I pray that you come to the growing realization and acceptance with the fact, not with the idea, but with the fact that it's not all about you. That the universe didn't exist before you, just waiting for you. You know, thousands of years, boy, one day Fred's coming. We're just kind of getting everything ready for him. And now he bursts on the scene. Fred, and then Fred dies. And Fred's vision is that after he dies, people are going to be in the future looking back, oh, remember when Fred was here. You know, that's an exaggeration, but it, not by much. So often in our lives, we will live as if everything revolves around us. We make decisions based on what I want. I spend my money on what I want. I spend my time on what I want. My gifts are to pursue my glory, to get my reputation known in the company or in the whatever so that I get a raise. It's all about me and my glory and my fame. And it's not about Christ. We are told that God has uniquely gifted us not for us, but for others. And ultimately, for his glory. Our participation in the work of God is not a right. You and I have no right to participate in the work of God. It is a privilege. By rights, you and I, we deserve condemnation. But by privilege, we are honored and privileged to be able to serve the one who has died for us, the one who belongs all glory. Why do we do this? Because God is the one that deserves the glory. We do these so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. And then guess what? Glory and honor belongs to him. Why do we give him the glory? Because it belongs to him and not to us. And incidentally, notice that word dominion. That means you're not in charge of your life. Christ is. And so you submit to him. Serve with God's glory as the reward. If you are a Christian, you are God's servant. And that's not just a title. That is a job description. A servant serves. A servant doesn't pray about serving. A servant doesn't think about serving. A servant doesn't anticipate one day when life settles down, I will serve. God's servants serve God. And if you feel like a square peg whenever you've tried to serve God, then one of two things is happening. Number one, you're not serving in an area of giftedness, which is why it's frustrating you. Or number two, you're not serving for the glory of God, you're serving for the glory of you. Because I guarantee you, when you serve the Lord, it is not always a very glorious thing for your ego. The China Inland Mission had an interesting way to train people to have a servant's heart. At dinner time, when all the workers gathered around, all the missionaries, the rule was you couldn't put stuff on your own plate. You had to look at the plate of others, and if it was empty, you served them. You never served yourself. 
And food's like pretty important, isn't it? That's how they taught them. To look out for the interest of others and not just yourself. The end of all things is near, Peter says. It's, it's time to begin serving God. And you know, often I'll hear, well, I'm not worthy to serve. And honestly, in our heart of hearts, all of us will say that. You know, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy to be standing up here on this platform telling you this. You're not worthy to be sitting there listening to these words, to the Word of God. None of us are worthy in and of ourselves. That's why Christ had to die for us. So, well, you know, I'm not that gifted. I'm not that skilled. The Bible says you're gifted. Maybe you just don't know what your gift is. Maybe you haven't developed it yet, but you're gifted. Guarantee it. It's right there in the book. Your challenge is not a matter of giftedness. It's not a matter of worthiness. It's a matter of obedience. First and last. First and last. So what can we take from this today? Find out what your gift is, and if you know it, fantastic. Employ it. Serving other people. And if, and if it's not working when you do it, make sure that you know what your gift is. And secondly, make sure that you're doing it for the glory of Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, honestly, each of us look into this text that Peter has written. And we're convicted because we know that so often we will do that which we, uh, we will serve you, use you for our glory, use you to get strokes for our ego, as opposed to taking our egos and putting them aside and serving where you have called us, where you have gifted us, and uh, doing it for your glory and not our own glory. Every single one of us, God. And so with this reality, we just repent and we come afresh to you and confess as the song is truly sung, it's all about you, Jesus. All this is for you, for your glory, for your fame. It's not about us. As if you should do things our way. For you alone are Lord. And I surrender. We surrender to you. So Lord, take our lives and use us as you'd be pleased. We are privileged and honored to be your servants. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Lord bless you. Hi, this is Wayne Stiles. You can receive a weekly devotional by email by subscribing to my blog at waynestiles.com. There you'll also find resources for devotional and Bible land study, as well as a way for us to connect via Facebook and Twitter. There's even an opportunity to support this weekly podcast with a donation. That's waynestyles.com. Thanks for listening.